post-seven-day Easter, guys. I'm still kind of recovering, not only from last week, but just basking in the glow. Anyone here for Easter? You got a chance to be a part of it? Fantastic. You know, if you were with us, uh, we, we, we touched on something that we're going to be really digging into more today in these next few weeks. You know, here at FOF, we have this idea that, that fundamentally, God has something to tell us. And this thing he has to tell us is fundamentally something good. It, it, it's called good news, even by those first people who spread the message. And this, this idea, that this, this message, this thing he wants to tell us, this good news, it, it's not just a news report. You know what I mean? It's not just information. Because it seems like woven into this good news is the very spirit and power of God himself. So that when God tells it, he's not only telling it, but he's doing something at the same time. And here at FOF, there's this, this just fundamental idea that, that God's word and God's good news has, has just some amazing power encapsulated and power to transform power to take us and change us and move us, power to, to, to do things that the Bible will describe as so radical, it'll give words to it like rebirth. And sometimes when you start going through God's message, you come across chunks or sections that are so hyper-concentrated with good news that the only thing I can think to call them is like ultimate gospel because it's dripping. It reminds me of being a kid and like, you know, you'd make chocolate milk or, or you'd make Kool-Aid. And if your mom made it for you, it generally came out like, like this weak kind of tepid color, right? Because we're going to conserve and too much sugar isn't a good thing. But you've been there. Have you ever taken that like Hershey syrup thing? Or have you ever taken that, that the hot chocolate mix or the Kool-Aid mix and kept dumping and dumping? And you watch that Kool-Aid red go from like a pink to this deep, dark, concentrated red. Or you watch white milk turn black right before your... You know what I mean? Because sometimes there is such a super concentration that doesn't say the other isn't it, but it is so concentrated with good news that it's like it can only be described as ultimate gospel. Are you with me? We are beginning our last leg of this 40-week journey through the New Testament. Do you believe that? Today is week 36 of a 40-week journey. Now, if you're with us for the first time, don't let that throw you. What we've been doing is just looking at various passages of Scripture, and even if you've missed 35 up till this point, you're going to have no problem getting on the road with us here today. But what we're going to be doing for this final leg is we're going to be looking at some of these hyper-concentrated, like black chocolate milk passages, these, these passages that are so concentrated with gospel, it's like I'm looking at them and I don't even know where to begin, all right? Today, we're looking at one in particular that is just, I mean, it's the queen mother. It is the pinnacle. It, 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 is, it has been called the tree of life 
in the Garden of Eden of the Bible. It has been called the center of the center of the gospel message. It is ground zero in a book that's ground zero for talking about all that God has done for us. It's Romans chapter 8. In concentrated in Romans chapter 8 is just this outpouring of, of, of pure concentrated gospel. And guys, I've been wrestling with how to take you through this today because there is simply so much. It can be sifted down to single verses that can be taken away and just melted in. And so my thought was this. Rather than try to explain everything, sometimes we just need to let God's word speak for itself. Sometimes we just need to kind of bask in its glow. Let the radiation blast hit us and change us if God's word actually is transformative. Now, I want to invite you to follow along with me as I walk you through this amazing passage of ultimate gospel. And as I do, just let God speak to you today. Let something grab you or strike you. Let let something take hold of you and latch on to something. And even if you just walk away with one passage or one verse of Romans chapter 8 today, guys, I've got good news for you. It will be more than enough because it is that concentrated. You with me at Romans 8? Here's how Paul begins. Now, you remember that confession slide we did a minute ago. And he answers it by saying this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law or the principle or the power or the authority of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by our sinful natures, right? God did by sending his own son in the likeness of us, of a sinful man, to be a sin offering, to take it, to be that sacrifice for you and for me. Let those words resonate. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation, whatever you bring in this room today, you are not condemned by God. Whatever you have become in your life, God is not looking to condemn you. He loves you so much that he has taken every bit of condemnation that we know deep down we deserve And he's placed it on his son instead. It says he came down in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that all those righteous requirements of the law, those things that we'll never do, can be fully met in us through Jesus. If we are people not marked by the sinful nature, but marked by the Spirit. There is a trajectory that is going to build of assurance and grace from beginning to end 
that is meant to define everything of who we are in God's spirit. Now, if you're looking at verse 5, he moves on, and he starts to contrast two basic types of people in this world. There's all different ways we can classify people, right? Paul looks at it this way. There's basically two kinds of people in this world. Those who have their minds set on the sinful nature, or maybe the flesh, as your, your passage will put it, and those who have their minds set on the spirit. He says, now those who have their minds set on the sinful nature, you know, they go after what that sinful nature desires. While those who have their minds set on the spirit go after what the spirit desires. The mind of the sinful nature is death. A mind controlled by the spirit is life in peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, It doesn't submit to God. It can't even do so. Anyone who is controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. But do you know what the good news is? That's not you. If you are in Christ, that's not you. For you are not of the mind of the sinful nature. You're not controlled by the sinful nature but by the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And how do you know? Well, if anyone's not in Christ, he doesn't have the Spirit of God, all right? So if you're in Christ, good news, you have got the Spirit of God. And that Spirit means all the difference in the world. It's kind of like this. Paul can talk about two different kinds of people, and you can almost think of them like this. There's some people who are just the walking dead. They look alive, but they're dead. They're corpses, they're zombies. Their bodies move, but the soul is dead inside. But there is another kind of people, and thanks be to God because of his spirit who makes it happen, that though they are dead, they are alive. That though their bodies are dead to the things of this world, they are alive in ways that transcend any kind of imagination. And what Romans chapter 8 is trying to say right there is, that is you. And if Christ is in you, then even though your body is dead because of sin, Your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he will give life to you. Life to those of you who are seeking it. Life to those of you who are grieving the loss of it. Life to those of you who are looking at your mortality. He will give life to you through that spirit who lives in you. And the result of this is he says we have an obligation, a debt. And that debt isn't to the sinful nature, to live according to it. Because you know what? It's done nothing for us. We owe it nothing. It's a debt to someone so much greater instead. He goes on and he says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It keeps getting more. Does God, do you realize that God calls you his kids? More than that, God calls you his sons, 
Ladies, you too? Yeah, you too. You are a son of God with a full right and full authority of what that word entailed to the people long ago. This is what God says about you. Sons of God. And he goes on and he says, the spirit you receive doesn't make you a slave again to fear. Rather, it brings about your adoption as sons, and by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. It's how God thinks of us and how God wants us to think of him. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are his children. Now, if we are children, wrap your mind around this, we're also heirs in line to inheritance. Heirs with Christ. Heirs of the Father. If indeed we share in his suffering, so that we'll also share in his glory. Now, some of you are coming here today, and you feel like those people maybe who were holding those posters last week lined up here. And I think about those people who were holding those posters, and I think what was so impactful to me about it is that when the flip came, When the resolution came, it wasn't a case as though everything had been taken care of, as though there was no more struggle or issue or suffering. It was something much different instead, and it's rooted deep in these words. This is what Paul has to say. I consider that our present sufferings, because we suffer, don't we, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us that whatever we face doesn't hold a shadow to what God has in store for you. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for us, the sons of God, to come into that glory and be revealed because you know what? The creation is, is subjected to frustration. It's broken. It's messed up. And it's not by its own choice. It's by the will of the one who subjected it in the hopes that the day is going to come when it's going to be liberated. It's going to be freed from this bondage to entropy and decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Paul will put it this way. It groans like it's in the pains of childbirth. Have you ever groaned? like you're in the pains of childbirth. Have you ever groaned in the pains of childbirth? (laughs) Yeah, me neither, man. (laughs) But I'm sure it's bad. (laughs) And it's a picture, isn't it? It's a picture of of, of all of creation. Think about this thing of childbirth. Here happening before you is the most beautiful, wonderful, life giving thing. And yet even the most beautiful, wonderful, life-giving things in this world are laced with pain. And this is the reality of a broken world. But do you know what Romans 8 is saying here? That's not the way it's always going to be. Because it's subjected to frustration now, but the day is going to come when the sufferings we face don't compare to the glory that will be seen, that the pain we face now 
doesn't hold a shadow to the restoration and redemption that God is going to bring. And not just the creation, but we ourselves who've got the spirit, the first fruits, right? We groan inwardly as we await our adoption as sons. Look at what Paul has to say. He goes on and he says, for in this hope we were saved. Last week we talked about how the idea that there is no good news without resurrection. The hope in which we're saved is not just somehow that God comes to us now to help us through this life, that God comes to us now as some kind of cosmic therapist, that God comes to us now to give us some kind of path of spirituality, of rule of life. It's that God comes to us now to give us a promise that there's something real coming, something tangible coming, an event that is on the horizon. And it's something that we can look to. It's in that hope that we're saved. It's a resurrection that began with Jesus but isn't completed yet. But guys, hope that's seen really isn't hope, isn't it? You ever, you ever like want hope? You ever feel like there's an absence of hope? You ever clamored for renewed hope? Doesn't hope sound like a good thing? Do you know what the two-edged side of hope is? If you hope, you don't actually have what you're hoping for. And that stinks. But at least hope can ground us. It's in that hope that we're saved, a hope of something not yet realized. But guys, the hope that is seen isn't really hope. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we sit here and we, 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 we live this life as the people of God in hope, we can be patient waiting for what we do not yet have. And he says in the same way the Spirit helps us now in our weakness, it's not like we just got to sit and wait. God's Spirit isn't leaving us to do it alone. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit of God intercedes with us through groans that words cannot express. Have you ever tried to pray and words just couldn't capture what you were feeling? Have you ever just groaned before God, cried out in your heart despite the fact you couldn't articulate it? Guys, do you want to hear something amazing? Do you realize that God is praying for you? I mean, it's pretty cool when someone prays for you, isn't it? It's powerful. If you've ever had someone pray for you, especially verbally, especially if they lay their hands on you, I mean, oftentimes you'll sense something. I mean, it's just like... You feel a bit like you're on holy ground. How much more when God himself is praying for you? I mean, shoot, I mean, I think God's going to answer those, don't you? Hmm, should I do what I say? God of the universe, the spirit of God is praying for you, interceding for you, even at times with groans that you can't even express. And he says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. God knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows what the Spirit is saying. It's not like God is ignorant. It's not like God doesn't get it. It's not like God's like, oh, I misunderstood. 
God knows. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And then he says it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In how many things? In all things. Does that mean all things are good? No, and it's not what it says. You know, some of you have come in here today and you have experienced things in your life that are the farthest things from good possible. There are things that are happening in this world that are the farthest thing from good possible. But the good news of God is he says, even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of the most terrible, horrific things, I will work good. I will bring good. I will bring good for those. I will twist it and bend it and work through it. And even despite it, I will trumpet and crush it to bring good through it into your life. Because that's what God does. He doesn't just throw out that which doesn't work. He comes into the midst of the darkness and the mire and he redeems. You ever hear this church word redeem? Do you know what it means? It means to take something and to turn it into something of value, of worth, of beauty, to purchase it as something that is worthwhile for something good. And guys, no matter what evil you have faced in this world, God's promise to you is I will come in the midst of it and work for good. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew, because he foreknew you. He made up his mind beforehand. He predestined to become and be conformed to the likeness of his son, that you can be like Jesus' brothers. And those he predestined, he called. And you who he called, he justified. And you who he justified, he also glorified. What do you say in response to this? I mean, at the end of the day, if God's for us, who can be against us, right? If he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God is going to give you his son, is he going to hold back in any other way? Who can bring any charge against you whom God has chosen? God's justifying. So who's getting condemned? Christ Jesus, who died, and that's the good news for you. But more than that, was raised to life, sits at the right hand of the Father, and is also praying for you. Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Trouble? Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, violence, the sword. I mean, we face death all day long. We're, we're like sheep sometimes, aren't we? Being led to the slaughter. But this is what God has to say to you. Now. Nah. 
in all those things, no matter how bad they get, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what do you say beyond that? Sometimes there is so much good news that is so concentrated in one place that it can only be called ultimate gospel. And sometimes these people who knew God get so enraptured with the good news that when it starts coming out, it just starts spilling out. There is more good news in Romans 8 than I can ever come to terms with in a lifetime. And the hope of God's good news is that you see within it good news for yourself as well. My prayer for you is that you take Romans 8 and make it your own even if you latch onto one single phrase to grab hold with hope and faith onto that piece of good news that God gives for you. Because that, guys, is what God and his message are all about. Guys, would you rise and, praise, uh, and, uh, and pray with me? Let your mind go today just to a piece of good news in Romans 8. Latch on to it. Make it your prayer this morning. Lord, we come to you as wretched people, sinful people, slaves of sin, in bondage to death, corrupted, mortal, fallen. God, to know we don't have to hide from it, to deny it, to rationalize it. God, to know we don't have to minimize it, make excuses. That we can simply come before you who's uttered completely beyond belief good news. May it take hold. May it take root. For those of us, God, who come with guilt, may we hear there is no condemnation. For those of us, God, who feel broken, may we remember that you have given us your spirit. For those, God, who feel isolated and alienated, that you have called us sons. For those of us, God, who have become so fixated on the things of this world, that there is a promise of an inheritance in store that blows it away. For those of us empty or weak, to know that your spirit is, is praying for us, that you, Lord Jesus, are by God's throne interceding for us.
that those of us who are suffering would take hope that, that as bad as it is, it doesn't compare to the glory that awaits for those of us in pain and groaning that the day of restoration is near. For those of us, God, who have been victimized by evil, that out of it you will bring redemption, good. For those, God, when we wonder how you can be for us, we remember how can you be against us when you give your own son. When we're afraid we've fallen beyond your love, that we know and remember that nothing can separate us from your love ever, ever again. God, may that be more than enough. Amen.